Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, Outcasters, it is your ABTV Outcast After Show, and we're breaking down Season 1, Episode 3. It's called All Alone Now, and we're grappling with the big questions like, does Jesus like the buddy system? Outcast, what does that mean? And didn't your mama tell you not to hide your light under a bushel? All of that and more coming up, so stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Oh, it's happening. It's all it's all happening. It's all happening here. It got real this week. It we got can't deny it. So crazy. Like I feel on edge right now sitting here. This is this is supposed to be my safe space where I can talk about stuff with you guys. I feel I feel creeped and, and skin crawly. And hello, my name is Lex Michael. I'm all over social media at the Lex Michael and I am here with Hi guys, I'm Joel Monique, and you can find me everywhere at Joel Monique. And I'm Lucretia Lyon, and you can find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet, since there is only one. So, guys, this episode, like the previous two, wastes no time Mm -hmm. in dispensing with the horrible, horrible, horrible violence. It just gets right in there. Horrible. You said it. Horrible. Terrible. (laughs) I'm just reliving the image of it. But it, it worked. It was oh, cool. yeah. I'm loving it. Like, that's the thing. It's like so many other shows starting this year, I've been, like, waiting for them to get to the point, get to the sex and violence. But this show <laughs> just goes to the immediate sex and violence. You know, well, we did get one sex scene recently, but violence is more important in this aspect, being that it's horror. And I'm just like, yes, this Although is so we cool. do, we get, yeah. we get a little more sex in this mm-hmm. episode than we, even also though it's... Also not enjoyable, It's though. weirdly no, it dysfunctional or no not... good sex. Yeah. No, bad sex. So I do. So we're on the third episode, and we get this really interesting buddy cop type story between <laughs> Reverend Anderson and Kyle. But I want to talk really quickly before we jump into specifics that are the beat by beat breakdown. This episode compared to the previous two, this this one to me personally felt like we didn't get a ton of forward story momentum, but we got a lot of really interesting character stuff that that brought new color to what we've been seeing already. And I wanted to know. How did that work for you guys, the the emphasis on characterization more than story momentum in this episode? See, I felt like we were shedding a light on a lot of things we were kind of dark on before. You know, the characterization we have had so far is uh, pretty straight up. Like, this is their lives, this is where they are. Now we're kind of seeing where they're pivoting to, which I'm really excited about. We see some of the Reverend's flaws as a human being. We see uh, that Kyle, though he wants to help, is tired and unsure and... Um, kind of messy so I, I like this kind of uh, this connection that they have with like seeing their people it feels a little bit more like we're going a little bit procedural which I kind of like for the show it is that is an interesting 
touch that I was not necessarily expecting because I, I also have no frame of reference personally for the comics. I know, uh, Joel, you've you've read them. Mm-hmm. I have not. Lucretia, because you weren't here last week, mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to ask you. Have you read the comics? No, actually, I'm a little bit familiar with them, but Joel is the only one of us who's actually sat down and read all of them. Okay, yeah. so is this something that there is a basis for in the comics? Mm-hmm. Is that is that the type of relationship that Kyle and Anderson take oh, on? absolutely. In this scene, like, as soon as I realized we were going in there uh, into the jail I was like yes this is what I've been waiting for because this is exactly where the comic gets like picks up to like uh, this is last week we've been kind of following along we're getting a little bit more of the townspeople in the show early on as opposed to the comics where we get that a little bit later um, but I really this scene is everything it's the crux and it pushes everything forward so I'm really excited we got to it early and and that it was done so well. Yeah so before we even get there I do want to talk specifically about the cold open where at First, because this is, I believe, the first cold open we've gotten on the show, or did the pilot? Right. The mm-hmm. pilot didn't have one, did it? So this was the first cold open, and I'm watching it, and for the first minute and a half, I'm going, "Did I click the wrong thing? Am I watching the right show?" <laughs> and then the violence happens, and I'm like, "I'm definitely in the right place." Yeah. <laughs> but we, but we meet these two characters. They are uh, Luke and Blake, and they are two police officers, and they're off duty, and they're on a double date, and they are. We were talking before we got on mic about how, hey. I know those actors. Yeah. Uh, one of them, Lee Turgesson, who plays Blake, I know from Oz, primarily. Yes, he made out with Christopher Maloney on there. That was awesome. Sure but then, Lucretia, before we yeah. before we got into the studio, you made my brain explode by reminding me he was also in Wayne's World? Yes, he's the guy that's like, I love you, man. <laughs> and both of them. <laughs> yeah. And then Luke is played by J.R. Bourne, and we were running down uh, some of his other credits that now totally slipped my mind, but you had them in front of you a second ago. Yeah, uh, he was double down on Arrow. That's, yes, um, he was double down, that's, that's right. That's cool for us, especially being on ABTV Arrow. But yeah, he was also in Revenge for a great art with Michael Truca from Biostar Galactica. They were brothers, uh, so okay. yeah, I always remember that really well. And he was in Stargate, the TV show. So yeah. they're, they're police officers and they're partners and they're friends and they're on this double date and Blake comes after making some really weird, really weird, not so nice comments to the girl no, that no, he no. was set up with. Oh, very rude. I know. I was like, this girl's fat. Where, where are we at? Mm-hmm. What universe is this? And yeah. then like the friend's reaction is just like, uh, what? It was really unsettling. It was instantly, as we've already said, like just so unnerving everybody like all the who's like you were talking about last week like who's a demon in this town right. can we trust anyone and clearly we cannot well and two what's what's worse his his comments or his bowling because his, his bowling <laughs> was also quite terrible and now i'm wondering how because there does seem to be a little bit of of area for argument as far as when somebody's possessed, how much of them is still there, how much of them is still mm. present, still guiding their their actions. So my big question, maybe more than any other, is Blake bad at bowling or is the demon bad at bowling? I'm going to go with the demon because he seemed really angry <laughs> about it. So like, that usually indicates you're an excellent bowler, like me. Like, when I'm not drunk, <laughs> I am a terrible bowler. But when I'm drunk, I'm an excellent bowler. It's like strike or gutter ball. I mean, he definitely got so, his yeah. coordination on a little exactly. later. So, well, so, you know, I'm going to just go bad bowler, demon. Dead bad bowler, demon. Mm. Sure, sure. They don't. They probably don't have leagues. No. I don't think demon leagues. But so, but so Blake goes home with Luke and his wife, and Luke goes out again, uh, assuming everything will be fine because he doesn't know that he's on a new Cinemax original yeah, horror series. Who first goes? 
Rose, you know, they're, they're possessed by a demon. Right. Yeah. He's sick. Yeah. We gotta get him some soup, some ginger yeah. ale. We gotta fix him. He really was a c- caring friend. Like, crackers, ginger ale, some soup. <laughs> My Came grandma would only hot. give me Gatorade. <laughs> Start of a fever. But so, Luke is gone, and pretty quickly, yeah, it's like, alright, I'm definitely watching the show that I intended to watch, for, for better or for worse. <laughs> then we see Blake assault and murder Luke's wife, and of course Luke has to come back and find that and we get wait can we I'm so sorry the moment I really like that they cut that off that we get his reaction and Mm -hmm. then those opening credits the picture I painted in my head yes violent like the guts strewn from the ceiling blood everywhere I was like this is gonna be horrible it was not as bad as what they actually pictured yeah eventually they do show you it's amazing yeah and it's like what they do show you ultimately is don't get me wrong it's horrifying but when they actually show you later in the episode what he did to her I'm I'm sitting going oh that's that's a really cool effect that they did whereas yeah when you don't see it obviously whatever your mind is going to generate you just imagine the worst for whatever for you personally is the worst most horrific thing you can imagine I do want to ask you guys though because it's the, in this episode we get a couple of instances where assault and uh, I'm talking specifically of the sexual variety is if not outright depicted very very heavily suggested and the first of these instances is obviously in the in the opening and as we learn more about what did or did not happen between Blake and his partner's wife it does seem like or at least the, the way I interpreted it was that there was an element of sexual assault to what he did and I don't I I don't know how I feel about that I definitely feel icky, but I don't know how I feel about that as a as a storytelling tool. Hmm. Um. You don't get the story in the comics. You right. Go straight to a guy being like something bad has happened. You kind of get the descriptor of it, but you don't get the whole bowling scene and everything leading up to it. Um. It didn't bother me on a on a sexual assault because it was horrible because there was no part of it that was sexual to the viewer. The, you know that what you I mean? See. Yeah. yeah. But well, no, not even. If sexual assault occurred, there was no part of it that was romanticized or you didn't feel like, ooh, this is, like, titillating. It was all horrifying and horrible. So I feel like if you're going to go down that route, if you're going to portray that, because, I mean, definitely with the kissing and then the biting and then he was talking about, like, you know, being hot and warm and all that stuff. Um, Yikes. Yeah. yeah, It was was really great words, right? They're so good. Um, I I feel like as long as you portray it with the, the violence and with the respect that a horrible action like that deserves, then then that works for me as on a storytelling level. What I don't like is when they show it and it's supposed to be titillating and you're just like, that's wrong and yeah. weird. Yeah, whether it occurred or not. And to me, it really didn't because it was more about the, you know, violence, as you say, you know, talking about the blood. There was nothing sexual in the nature and none of this was condoned by the writers, which some shows tend to do. Mm. Uh, to me, that's what made this like, okay, yes, this is horrifying, but I did not see that at all and I don't see them gratifying it. So that's why it, was, it seemed okay to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I was going back and forth as I was watching it because on the one hand, especially because we don't know these characters, there is an argument that I think can be made that maybe it's a little bit these specific types of acts of violence that they're depicting could be seen as a little bit manipulative on the part of the storytellers. I see that argument. But I also, I agree. I think it was handled in a way that that it, it painted it with such a brush that it's like, oh, no. Like this is this is horrible, and we're going to spend the next hour dealing with how horrible this is. 
So I, I do. I agree with both of you. I just can't. There's something, something very, but it's good. I mean, mm. I think it speaks to the, the effect of the storytelling that it is so unsavory and so icky. Yeah. Yeah. Then the minute, like, her fear is palpable. Like, kudos to the actress because the minute, you know, she's backing off and he's like right there touching her hair and you're just like, no, get away from her. It's gross and weird. And then, <laughs> and then the attack of like, and they, they shoot it so well, like, to be that low and from behind a counter and just kind of hearing the hits and then she kind of comes flying across and then is dragged back. I mean, they do such, so many shows now, I feel like, try to be suspenseful but then have no means to carry it out. Sure. This show builds suspense. It's so much oh, yeah. fun to just sit there and be like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Oh my God, please be okay. Everyone's ever okay. Yeah, it, I made a comment last week about how it really is speaking to the film nerd part of my brain because mm-hmm. it is, and it, it makes sense, you know, we're seeing it's, it's Cinemax, which is practically a sister network to HBO. So you would think they'd be more likely to maybe up the ante in that respect than a lot of other outlets, but they're doing it so well. Mm-hmm. And the way that they are building suspense and tension with nothing more than, I mean, we see later and we'll get to the specifics of it, but when you're intercutting this very dangerous situation that that Mark is in uh, with the very dangerous situation that his wife is in elsewhere, and you're just, you're building nothing but cutting back and forth and the music by Atticus Ross. Really brilliantly done and, and all totally cinematic and you don't have to boo scare people to do that and it's it's really really nice to see well and Atticus Ross is a co-Oscar winner with my favorite person in the entire world Trent, Trent Reznor. Reznor so yeah I mean he is a cinema I mean Girl with a Dragon Tattoo Social Network I could literally go on and on guys and this, this episode yeah. too was that I mean you noticed the score I think in the first two episodes but this was the first episode and we're only three episodes in but the first one where I went oh wow no mm-hmm. you're making the most out of oh, every yeah. moment of score that you have and it's like, oh, that's brilliant. But all right, so we we get our buddies. We get our, our, our buddies in, in this holy crusade. We get Kyle and we get Reverend Anderson, and they've been called to the prison where they're keeping Blake in the basement, it looks like. <laughs> See, now, I got the feeling, and I can't, I did not reread issue three, so I apologize, guys. Uh, but I, I feel like he gets dragged, like the uh, main dude, because he's a cop and has a history, he has people there, and he's like, you know, take him down there so we can talk to him. And he knows that he's going to beat dude up because that's how he got the kids saved. And right. he went to dude's mother to get this guy's information. So uh, I had the feeling that, you know, they took him down there and chained him up so they could have their private, not rec- video recorded. Okay, that thing. makes a lot more sense than we just keep this one weird, creepy guy in the basement. <laughs> For sure. But, okay, before we even get there, we get some really great character stuff between Kyle and Reverend Anderson in the car Such on the way there. Stuff. We get we yeah. get the we get the line about Jesus likes the buddy system because there really does seem to be no better explanation for why the two of them have been thrown together in this mm-hmm. weird crusade. But then you also get stuff about Anderson's stance on, well, I think your vices should leave a bad taste in your mouth. And then you also get really specific, and I'm, I'm curious as to the significance of it, and Joel, maybe you know, the picture of his son. Mm-hmm. Because we spend a, a little bit of time on him losing it out the window, looking for it, and then going back and looking for it later. And I have no clue what to make of that. And I want to know, one of you has read the comics, one of you hasn't. Mm-hmm. Without like spoiling everything, <laughs> yeah. it's, his son is Brent Spiner. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what? What do you make of do that? Do you have thoughts first before I go? Well, to me, I do think that possibly the reason he's so drawn to Kyle is that 
he reminds him of his son, some that maybe his son had been possessed or was somehow involved with the dark arts. Whether he's just really into Crowley like my brother was when he was a teenager, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think we learned everything about the son that we need to know so far within the episode. And to me, I remember thinking like, like if God is an active character in this, if we have demons and hell and God in this, then perhaps this was a message to the Reverend. Because they talk about being disciples, and that when they talk about Jesus being the buddy system, and it's raining, and at one point Anderson looks at the sky, he's like, where's my son? Like, where's my son? And I feel like, you know, you gave this up. Like, we talk about, like, you had to give up your whole family to pursue this life because you feel like you're doing the right work, but you're still holding on. You still have this picture. You still, you had to go back in the rain just to have this picture. I felt like this was a moment of, of you know, divine intervention and in being like, <laughs> you need to categorize what you're doing. You can't have both. You're holding on too tightly and you have to let one go. And a choice is made. The picture, as we see at the end of the shot, isn't that far away. Right. It would have taken maybe 10 to 15 minutes more of searching to find it. But I needed to move on. That was my thought process behind what we saw without spoiling anything. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Because I would assume that there is a, there has to be a greater significance to it, if not plot-wise, then certainly for Anderson as a character, or why did we spend that time? But yeah, it's like, I, I never, especially because, yeah, at the very end, he's out there in the rain, and it is right there, and it's so close, and I feel like if I was just, like, this much smarter, I'd know exactly what they were trying to tell me, <laughs> and I don't know. So close, yet so far Building away. that suspense, you know what they're doing. So, okay, so we get to the prison, and we get to the basement of the prison where they're talking to Blake, and this is, the bulk of the episode is spent on this exorcism slash interrogation. And we get a lot of information that I am still trying to figure out about not just Kyle's powers, but about what these this malevolent force is. There's a lot of information being thrown out, and I'm I'm hoping by the end of our conversation here today, I will understand it a little better <laughs> because I don't. Is <laughs> the big thing that I got right now. Because it seems like Okay, so so Blake or the entity that is possessing Blake, which by the way they they may not actually be demons, if I understand that correctly. That definitely did come up. Okay, so what are they? <laughs> they're not... That will be revealed in due time. Right. I guess yeah. I'm asking. It's like I'm asking. I'm almost asking for spoilers. No. I don't want them. I don't want them. Don't give them to me. But okay, so so there's that. But it's also he's he's got this knowledge, not just of who Kyle is, but of Kyle's powers and what Kyle has been through, what he's lost, and he uses that almost to just stick the knife in mm-hmm. and twist it. And I'll just take this opportunity to remind our viewers, if you're just tuning in, Kyle's life is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it is just the worst. And Blake seems hell-bent on reminding Kyle in the most visceral way just how terrible his life is. It 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 bummed me out. Mm-hmm. Sad guy was sexy, though. I like a sad guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, your life is terrible? Marry me. What's up? What's up? Um, Moody? I I really like this number of... I feel like more than one scene. Like, "Mm, call one scene. But I really like this, as you said perfectly, interrogation. Uh, It's just... The writing was good, and we did get a lot of things revealed. I was particularly like the moment when he starts digging in on Anderson. Um, The whole, like, to see... Because we like Anderson immediately. Like, he's a foul mouth, like, reverend. Like, that's amazing. And he's genuine and for the people, and it's clear he's sacrificed a lot. And so then to hear, you know, that he questions God, 
I was really excited about mm. like that revelation of like, okay, so you're not perfect. To hear uh, the demon call him out and be like, "Are you, you're lying? This is the first true thing you've said since you've been here." Has he been lying a lot? Is all like how mm. how much don't we know? Sure. And and I think like for Kyle. It's easy, like, it's all here. Like, it's all on the front of him. Like, it's so easy to read him and to pick at him and, and to get a reaction out of him. But for Anderson, who's been so cool, calm, collected, like, he, like, kids spray paint his church. He's oh, like, yeah. whatever. Whatever. Devil in church, yeah. To know, like, what really bothers him is that his faith is not 100% secure. I think makes him a much more three-dimensional character. And especially to be paired with a non-believer, to not have any powers, but to desire that power... I can't wait to see, like, how the show kind of opens him up to more of this poking and prodding from different sides. Sure. Yeah, I, I really liked uh, Reverend Anderson right off the bat, not just because I have a thing for the collar, you'll see later, <laughs> creature. But, yeah, I mean, the character is, like, this guy is cool. Dropping F-bombs, like, you know, letting him spray paint the church. This is a guy who really gets it. And then when it's questioned, it's like, whoa. So, like, he's all cool and collected, but his faith is in question here. And then the chat wants to talk about Hikari Tino and Childhood's Hour uh, talk about how Blake was scared when he, like, you know, was talking to Kyle. So, like, and figuring out what it was. So that was a really cool thing to mention, like, you know, because it's not just so much his conversation with Everett Anderson when we're learning about, you know, he's more of a three-dimensional character than we thought, but as well as Blake and you know, what they believe that Kyle is, the outcast, is scary. And that's, this yeah. is the first time, if I'm not mistaken, the first yeah, time we've heard... So, first yeah, because I was like, yeah. I, hey, that's the title of the show. Applause. Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to stand up and clap, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, and, you, and again, the agenda of whatever this entity possessing Blake is... It, it seems to be, I mean, the, the clear goal is just, again, stick the knife in and twist it. But he keeps going back and forth. And when in one breath, he'll say, you know, if you keep coming to see me, well, I'll tell you more about your powers. But then in the next breath, almost, he starts taunting Kyle about, oh, you're never going to be rid of this. And I, I is, is he just, I mean, I suppose he could just be screwing with him for the sake of screwing with him, which would totally track. But I'm wondering, okay. So, we know there has to be an agenda at play. If for no other reason than creepy Brent Spiner <laughs> seems to be very, very deliberate in Makes everything that he does. a solid, silent appearance mm. in this episode, too. For sure, mm. which, which I, I believe, un unless, unless they're just screwing with all of us on purpose, <laughs> pays off in a pretty grisly way at the end of the episode. But he, if, if no other demon does, I'm going to use the word demon, even though that may not mm. necessarily be applicable... He at least seems in a position of authority, and he seems to be making very deliberate decisions. So let's assume that there is an agenda at play here. I am still trying to figure out what what the Blake monster—I'm calling Blake monster now—what yeah. what the Blake monster is trying to accomplish, or if maybe the Blake monster doesn't even know. Well— uh, cool thing brought up in the chat. Childhood's Hour says, are we sure this is the same type of entity as we've seen previously? Which they bring up in the episode. Yeah, you know, so yeah, that's the thing. It's like, is this the same demon that possessed his mother and, you know, his wife and his daughter and all that? Or... It certainly seemed you know, different to me, yeah. at least within the reaction. Like, he, this one had no reaction to any of the religious kind of icons or words. It was, he was literally laughable to him. Um, to me, I, I viewed his his viewing of Kyle as like a, a circus freak kind of sure. of like I know what you are, but I don't understand how you exist or how you operate, and it's fun to taunt you. 
you know, and if I can get more information or more of what I need, great. But if not, this is fun too. Um, they didn't seem hell bent on proving or getting anything. Uh, right. There, there didn't seem to be any long term goals or plans. He's just kind of like a, a Loki, like a mischievous little sure. pokey creature. <laughs> pokey creature? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I. That makes sense, and it does seem like we are seeing a very different type of demonic entity than we have seen before, and for a number of reasons, Kyle ends this episode in even, if possible, a lower place than we've seen him, because he now has to deal with not just, oh, this guy's taunting me and he knows more than I do about what's going on with me, but oh, we can't we can't seem to exercise this one either. Yeah, because Childhood Hour also brings up since he didn't know who Kyle was immediately, unlike when it was in Joshua. So this is clearly something he can't punch in the face to exercise. Not yeah. that he didn't try. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do love that punching in the face yeah. is part of his plan now. Clearly, every exorcism they've attempted involves Just Kyle punching, punching yeah. the host in the face. <laughs> There's no blood. It's not a go. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I'm bewildered. More than anything else, I'm bewildered, and I'm curious, and I'm wondering now, too, okay, so, as you pointed out, he recognized Kyle immediately, whereas, let's say, as, as you say, the, the malevolent entity in Joshua didn't. Is there a hierarchy? Because it definitely seems like Brent Spiner is more in charge than the rest of these people, and that maybe is me reading too much into it, but is there a hierarchy? So is it like... Oh well, Kyle Barnes is the outcast, but you need a level seven clearance for us to talk about that, and you only have like eleven, uh, level three demon clearance, so we're not gonna. I picture like if, if it's based off the other hierarchies of hell that we've seen in, in popular culture and stuff, everyone kind of knows something, but not everybody has access to everything. If that makes sense, and it felt to me like the gate, at least in, in the the demons that we've seen so far, kind of like the gates of hell have been open. Just do as you please. You know, we'll call you if we need you. I mean, Lucifer is in L.A. right now. Right. True. So, <laughs> just there's time to say, hey, what's up, Pop? Yeah. Um, Can I, so, because you, you brought up Lucifer, which is, which is a different show, I will be the first person, yeah. I'll be the first person to admit, and this is why I have to take notes when I watch the show, <laughs> I have a tendency to, for example, I'll be thinking about what happened in the episode of Outcast I just watched, and I'll be like, oh, but they gotta figure out how to deal with those those two guys that say they're from heaven. No, that's Preacher. Yeah, exactly. That's, I was that's about to a, say, they've escaped from heaven. Lucifer and Aminadil have escaped from hell. And then his mother. It's a completely so, yeah. different show. I could explain all of pop culture <laughs> and how it links together. But so, okay, so we do, and I keep saying it, but it just is so bizarre that we see at one point in this episode creepy Brent Spiner getting ready for his day. He's shaving. Yeah. I kept waiting for him because we know he's evil. And we know we see the tiny little bit of the black blood again, mm, but he's it out, yeah. he's very deliberately and almost aggressively shaving with this straight razor. I kept waiting for him to just stop and look at himself in the mirror and just like cut his <laughs> own demon just for kicks. That's funny. That's and uh, Hikari Tino in the chat said it for us to call Sam and Dean from Supernatural and they can get this fixed. <laughs> right. Know? I was like, yeah. why not? It's like, why not bring up more pop culture? <laughs> but. So what I also think is really interesting that we see bits of is the way these horrific events are impacting people who aren't possessed and driving them to do things that are, uh, at best, morally questionable. Mm-hmm. As we see near near the end of the episode when Luke very nearly kills Blake and the demon inside him just I'm because he got... i he let him live. No. I am shocked. I really did not expect him to move his hands when he was suffocating him. I wouldn't leave you. 
defend his wife in so many horrible, horrible angles. I I was kind of surprised and I don't know if I want to say impressed, but that, that he had the strength to just be like, I don't need any of this. Like, I can just walk away and move away from what's clearly been a really long and difficult chapter of his life. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> really, really traumatizing. Well, it was, it was, for me, it was such a relief because I agree, I was not expecting him to to take his hand away from, from Blake's nose and mouth either. And when he did, I almost felt like I was gasping for breath as well because I didn't want to see a person who's not possessed of their own volition go down a road that's mm-hmm. so dark. Why do we even need these evil demons if everybody is so prone to darkness and violence to begin with? Yeah, and plus we like Luke and Blake. We want to keep them around. Yeah, for yeah. real. Yeah. I want to see more more, yeah. more crazy Lee Turgesson. Really? Yes. Oh. He's amazing. I just want him to go like, I, I love you, man. <laughs> like he does the story in the world. No. I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> just say, just say thank you. Yeah. Um, or you say, what is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, is, what is this like deactivation yeah. phrase? Is it thank you or I love you too? Oh, uh, thank you. It's thank yeah. you because Garth says thank yeah. you. Anyway, so all you got to do is say thank you to the demon, yeah. and the demon will stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I do. I love the the dichotomy between Anderson and Kyle because it's interesting that they end up. I mean, they both end up on this insane crusade and they're in the same room with this insane Joker demon that they have to deal with, but they come from such, they they came at it from such different angles. You know, Anderson chose this, you know what I mean? And yes, it cost him his family, but that was his choice. Kyle Mm -hmm. didn't choose this at all. It chose him Mm -hmm. and it cost him his family anyway. And to see the way these two guys come at what is essentially the same problem and the same set of circumstances so differently because for one of them it's a choice and for one of them it is not is is really interesting it also seems like the one who didn't choose it just keeps getting the worst end of the stick (laughs) over and over and over and over it is literally like every buddy cop movie ever i mean they are Riggs and murtaugh i mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) old cops should be retired yeah (laughs) (laughs) reverend anderson ellen kyle oh my wife died oh i'm Riggs. Bless you. Is that is that your is that your your My uh, Mel, Gibson. Mel Gibson? Yeah, I was like that was all I could repeat on this show. <laughs> but you could know you could do the the thing he does. Yeah. He's like no 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 with his face. There you go, just like that. <laughs> yeah, we just all a random <laughs> I could really do more rigs. That's no, I like I like I like that your rigs is ah. That's right. I like it. That's also my Christopher Maloney too. But. <laughs> But yeah. so, but so, yeah. We see, we see Kyle just get beaten down by existence over and over and over. We do see him have to act proactively when the the preacher's religious weapons are quite literally turned into to actual physical weapons. Yes, which maybe should have listened to the guard who tried to help you. Tried to help you. He tried yeah. to help. I wouldn't bring uh-huh. a paperclip in there and you're like, I need all my tools. <laughs> and when your tools didn't work at all, zero effect, put them away. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you, it's, I, got, I got this. I got this. Okay. Okay. You go. I'm just going to go by solo like crazy and just run in there. I, uh, Anderson, he, I'm so eager to, to help and do good and save everybody. And it's really going to backfire. This is not a prediction. This is just story facts. When, when you're so gung ho to make something work and you can't stop to look around and, and think rationally, 
you're gonna start making huge mistakes, and I'm concerned that those mistakes are gonna have huge ramifications for him. You would think they'd have to, especially when it, these these evil thingamathingers, because they're not demons, right? So I'm just gonna keep coming <laughs> I, up with new but words. Are they? I mean, maybe these, but these evil entities. They clearly delight in nothing more than screwing with you and, and hurting you and making your life horrible. Anderson and Kyle are arguably the two best equipped people, maybe in the entire world, or at least the world of this show, to deal with this problem. And they are so clearly way, way, way in over their heads. How can that not, the further they go, how can that not double back on not just them, but the people around them? And Kyle still, even though most of them have cut ties... He still has people he cares about. We get this reference to Anderson's son, but we don't see, besides his parishioners, we don't see him have too many direct interpersonal relationships. It doesn't seem like he has any kind of connection. Because again, that whole line of like, where's my son, seems more less about the picture and more about like his actual physical, mental location of like, where is he at? Is he happy? Is he taken care of? Is did he grow? Like, what? Where is he? What is he doing? Poor, poor Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. NJRO Bear says, actually, I think that Anderson feels that he needs a win more than expelling the demon. And mm-hmm. I can agree with that. It's more about his pride and trying to get back. That's why I think that he sees a lot of his son in Kyle, that there's something there that he couldn't save. And that's why he's wanting to do this buddy cop fantasy with Kyle. You know, is sort of a father-son moment. Uh, I guess because every show I watch is father-son, like The Flash. But right. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, like I'm seeing this here, but maybe it's because I watch too much TV. Are we, are we, <laughs> yeah. Let's dance yeah. around Flash spoilers. Yeah. Suffice it to say, yikes, yeah. yikes. But yeah, for sure. I guess I I I, I, I want to mm. see Anderson get a win yeah. too. It's just that every time, for example, we have the last week when Scully's sister made him that pie. I go, hey, how nice for you. Wait a second. I know what show I'm watching. This ends horribly, doesn't it? Oh, no. No love for you, Anderson. Uh, I do. I want to see these guys get a win, but they just, it keeps, every time it's like we almost accomplish something, it gets so much worse. And we don't even get the we almost accomplished something in this episode. We just get straight to, oh, this is just, this is more terrible than it was. Let it go. And not only do we see Kyle in a lower place, arguably, than we've seen him at the end of this episode having to grapple with what what am I, what are these powers, why does he know more than he's saying, what does he know, all of that's, we can't exercise this thing, then of course he goes to check on his, his poor neighbor who is super hmm. dead. Yeah. Poor, poor Kyle. Poor, we poor, poor even, Norville. We can't even picture, yeah. like, how dead? Like, we get a razor, we get some blood, did did he do it in the end? He suicidal the last time we talked. Was, mm. he, was he possessed? Did somebody else call? Like, there are just so many questions around that. Well, I have a very specific theory about that. That's not a prediction. Mm -hmm. I think it's just based on what we saw in the episode. But I want to see, like, I mean, how did did you guys read that? I have a theory that it's a demon. A dancing demon? demon? No, No, something something isn't right right there. there. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I have to go there. Sorry. (laughs) You know, I think it's fair to say that uh, our man in the black hat... Played, you know, we see the vigorous shaving, as you mentioned earlier. You know, we kind of get him and then nothing at all. He kind of goes out of the episode, which implies, like, oh, that other thing you didn't see connected. Because it's like, until you get to that last, the button on the episode, it's a little bit like, okay, d- why did we d- see that? Demon mm-hmm. men shave yeah. too, I Good guess. To know. Mm. But, so, oh, 
Lucretia. I was like, yeah, like, apparently, even if you're possessed by a demon, your hair still really grows, which is a super downer, <laughs> because, like, I mean, demons don't know how to shave. I mean, apparently they do, though, with his, you know, great straight razor. Well, I would just go, if I'm a demonic, evil, malevolent entity, why would I pick a human body as a host if I have to worry about grooming? Exactly. Like, you know, pick a hairy mountain man, and then you don't have to worry about it. Or how about a bear? If all you want to do is guard people, just be a bear. A bear can't blend into society. (laughs) Maybe see a bear, then run in the other direction. (laughs) Like, you could be a dirty hippie in Venice Beach, not have to worry about grooming, and you could kill a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, going to come find that bummer-killing, mass-killing murderer on Venice Beach. Just draw attention to yourself. Classy, shade, clean cut. You walk by anybody. But <laughs> it's, it did. It did definitely seem like we were meant to infer directly that uh, evil Brent Spiner took the same straight razor, killed no- poor Norville, and mm. made it look like a suicide. Which mm. is, which is, of course, sad because poor Norville, whose car is Kyle going to borrow now? No, but also, I mean, isn't it his car now? Yeah, it just I guess just taxis, you know. But uh, but also. They're getting closer to him. That that was the most chilling part about mm. it. The, the the violence itself and the fact that this poor man who didn't want yeah. to bother anybody is dead. That part's very sad, but it's all getting closer. And it all not only is Kyle very very sad, and not only is it a bummer as an audience member, it's almost you start to feel like the walls are closing in on you along with Kyle. Or that's that's how I felt. No. Plus, we predicted the normal death, so it wasn't as shocking. But yeah, it's just like, you know, everyone that Kyle likes except for Reverend Anderson, because, you know, we see his sister kind of getting the effects, and yeah, it sucks. It definitely enhances the outcast feeling. Like, Mm -hmm. whether outcast has a, a larger meaning to an underworld and or secret society kind of situation by taking away the one person he was comfortable talking to. Like, he, I mean, if his sister's around, he'll talk to her, but he does his best not to involve her in anything. He was going to that guy for help, and they were like, no. Bye-bye. None of that anymore. And dead. Hmm. So, yeah, they're definitely making him, pushing him to his limit. Yeah. Poor Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> so... Because you you mentioned the sister, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, Mm. I do want to talk about what's going on with the Holters, Megan and Mark, in this episode, because Mm. not a ton happens, but what does happen is very, very interesting, and I have to assume pretty significant, or will be significant going forward. We first meet them again in this episode, and they're they're having some, some bedroom problems. Some, some weird, some, awkward sex problems. You no, know, but it happens. Yeah. You know, it's it's okay. What one? You know, like one in five, right? Mm. It's 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 fine. But we get introduced to this character whose name is Donnie, this figure from Megan's past, and this is again, this is the second time in the episode of the second situation in which, at least this is how I read it, sexual assault is very directly alluded to. Oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't get much more information than that, other than this is a figure from Megan's past that may or may not have assaulted her. Whether or not he did, he is certainly, apparently, someone to be feared. Uh, she is not the best guidance counselor, mm-hmm. is something else that we learned. <laughs> She's a great, I think you'd be distracted, too, if you were like, is he here? And why? And oh my god. <laughs> like, I, I mean, she was doing a really good job with that girl of like, explain to me your issues up front. <laughs> And then, you know, horrible history passes through her window. 
mean, she's all right. She's okay. I mean, like, guidance counselors in general pretty well suck. <laughs> so, like, I was just like, oh, at least this girl straight up, like, seriously goes go deal with your problems. I was like, oh, okay. That's just Get like my here. parenting. So I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. I was like, I don't see anything wrong with time. Fair enough. Fair points all around. Okay, yeah. okay. We do though. We do. If she's not being the most proactive in her guidance counseling, she is at least being more proactive in her own life than we've seen her so far on this show. Going so far, she does a little does a little espionage. She goes to and this. She's good at it. She's is she good at it, or does this receptionist at the motor lodge give up the room number way too easily? I, I mean, if you've ever okay. If you've worked, like, your regular retail gigs, you know, and you get a nice person who's like, I just need some help, you know, yeah, sure, here's the number, why not? I feel like she she knew her strength, and she played them up. She was like, you know, I look sweet and innocent, people will give me things. Yeah, I do that all the time. Why not? <laughs> oh, see, I think Megan did a really good job. I'm watching this receptionist. <laughs> I'm watching this receptionist. And I'm going, and of course the actress is a small part, but the actress is, is great. So there's yeah. nothing, about, I'm not talking about the performance, sure, but sure. this receptionist. She gets asked for the, the name and the room number. Oh, I can't give you that information. Gets asked again. Oh, I can't. Asked again and just goes, oh, I can't. Hold it up. And in my oh. head, I'm hearing uh, Will Ferrell in the second Austin Powers movie <laughs> being like, I just, I can't stand to be asked the same question three yeah. times. It just irritates me. <laughs> so she just like gives it. And so we see Megan very discreetly slip into his room and opens his computer and he's creeping on her Facebook specifically. (laughs) Which, on the one hand, to me, that almost felt a little bit like, this is a bit of a contrived moment. This feels a little bit like this was something that was written in a script. But still... You're right. The effect ultimately was, oh, oh, dang. It would have been nice to see her do a quick search, history search. Just just real quick, just type in her own name, see if she comes up in a search history. And and then I could have been like, yeah, okay. But we're going to have left it up and then not be, like, at her house or, you know, looking for her car. Like, to me, like, it, it would be, like, immediate reaction of, like, I slammed the computer down and then I went to find her. But since it, he comes back, I don't know. That I agree with you, essentially. It did feel contrived. <laughs> Yeah, but the other thing that I noticed in that moment, and I really started to notice stuff like this now, is it's very clearly Facebook, and there's a Facebook logo in his browser. And I noticed that only because it's super conspicuous when a TV show or a movie decides, for whatever reason, I'm sure there are a number of different reasons they do that, to just make up a search engine or a social media site. Like, like how, Spider Finder. Like Spider Finder yeah. on x file. Yeah. So I was like, hey, it's Facebook. This, yeah. it's, it's, this is like our world. This could happen to us. Oh, no. so that's going on and we don't really get any clear resolution i have to assume that this is going to unfold Mm. over the course of the season for megan and like with everybody it's just going to get worse i want to talk really quickly because we don't get much more information from mark's story than we do from megan's some weird stuff seems to be going on and i don't know if you guys super weird i don't know yeah okay so you guys read it the same way That I did. So he goes back to investigate this super creepy camper. Real quick, really heavily against Chief's wishes, and then with sarcastic okays. Okay, like, Mr. CSI. Did you learn at community college? Like, I was like, damn, Chief, okay. Yeah, burn. Burn. All right. But he goes back, he investigates the area, doesn't find prints or anything, but he finds fibers and he finds a fingernail. Some stuff that, hey, you found evidence. evidence. That totally counts. Has a weird encounter with a wolf. That's terrifying. But, What's this burrito I took with me recently? Thank God. The that. wolves like Mexican food. The, <laughs> but the, the weird part, real weird part, is when he comes back 
to the police station and he talks to Chief about it. Chief, who before was like, this is ridiculous. You're not going to fine. You know what? Go knock yourself out. Spend the time. Is like, okay, you take all the evidence and your report and you leave it in my office. I will take it from here. Did that seem super, super sketch to you guys? I was oh, yeah. immediately like, you need to put that fingernail in your pocket. Okay, take some pictures. Like, he didn't take any photos of the crime scene, which I thought was problem number one. Um, because now it's, it's gone. You've taken it and you've given it to one person who we clearly cannot trust. Um, so I'm kind of hoping he secretly has stashed some evidence away. He doesn't Otherwise, seem that smart, though. I mean, the chief did call him out for only going to community college. So. <laughs> oh, that's fair. <laughs> but we were talking last week about how we thought Chief was going to end up being a real ally, a real force no. for good. And now I'm not so sure. He's definitely swung in the other direction completely, where you're like, are you evil? And how evil? And what do you know? And why are you hiding things? This character is fully in suspect right now, but i kind of excited about... Because it doesn't... There don't seem to be clear lines anywhere. Like, we have a preacher in doubt. We have Kyle, who is depressed, but still, besides his better judgment, continues to try to help people. Um, and now we have this chief who, you know, sometimes sides with a preacher, sometimes tries to cover up crazy animal slings. Yeah, because, you know, maybe he's just in on the animal slings. Like, maybe he's just into Santeria. I don't know. This is our maybe it's stuff. not a part of the demon thing. Right. No, I don't not. I don't know anything yeah. about because I don't practice Santa no. yet. I, I, I ain't got, got no crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> I had a million dollars, but I spent it all. However, no. if I did <laughs> yeah. have a crystal ball, yeah. I would use it to make some predictions. Yes. <laughs> and that kid's is called a segue. Except where's our light show? Ready? And now your After Buzz TV predictions. It's all right. It's no. all right. It was. It was like. It was like seventy-five percent a good segue. Yeah. So okay, let's just speculate wildly about all of this. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Megan gonna get caught in doing something. Well, she just is brazen, which we haven't seen before. And while. You're correct, she did do some sleuthing, and it wasn't maybe top-notch. She got all kind of easy and nice lady to help her out. Mm. Um, I don't think that lasts, and um, that is all I'm going to say for now. Mm. (laughs) See, you know more than you're telling. Uh, (laughs) Well, to me, you know, I predicted that Norville would die, and that happened, but now I'm just wondering, like, where else can we go from here? I mean, obviously, I think that something bad is going to happen with Kyle's sister, just because... Let's screw over Kyle in the worst ways possible. I mean, everyone that he cares about has got to have something horrible happen to them because that's just how the show is. Right. Yeah. Where I'm at is I am so on board yeah. with the entirety of this show. But for the most part, I'm very game to just let the story unfold and see where it takes me. The character that I now have the most questions about that I feel like I need answered is Chief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, they mu- they, they're doing it on purpose. I know they're doing it on purpose. That's just what tra- Robert Kirkman does. Just, He's like, I want you to be interested in this person, and then I'm going to murder him. But mm-hmm. now I'm wondering, see, if he if he was going to be an ally and a force for good, my prediction last week was he's going to become their yeah. ally, and then something horrible will happen to him, and he'll die. Now I'm thinking, oh, something, something not so good is already going on. He may be, he may already be possessed. He may have gotten possessed since we saw him last, or... 
maybe what's going on in the woods is is people is no. not the demon monsters it's some real sick nasty people and for whatever reason chief wants to keep it quiet either he's one of them either he doesn't want the attention or he doesn't he doesn't want to have a whole bunch of open it, Reggie Cathy yeah. was on the wire I know a thing or two about not wanting a bunch of open cases you can't close well, and that's just how Robert Kirkman works two things he does is bring people on from the wire in his shows yep and it's always like people are the real villains. That's the allegory here of every single one of my comic books and TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> so these demons aren't going to be the main villain. He's already showing his hand. And that's mm-hmm. that's my thought. Yeah. I feel like we already have so much weird, malevolent demon stuff happening. What is the function of whatever's going on out in the woods if it's just purely an extension of what we're already seeing? It seems like we're spending an awful lot of really specific focused time on it if that's all it is. I think I think Chief's up to no good. That's my that's my prediction, guys. I think yeah, Chief's up to no good. good. Nope. That's what I got. So Anything else? Do you guys have any other predictions? Or do you have, before we wrap, any final thoughts about episode three of season one of Outcast? I'm just glad they keep sitting in bar and then crossing it. They did an amazing job at just accelerating each yeah. week, and so I'm excited for next week. I agree. You know, this show keeps getting better and better. Yeah, I am very curious to see what comes next, and I'm really excited to see hopefully more of, like, this weird demonic nice guys routine yeah. that Anderson and Kyle have. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to next week as well. In the meantime... Where can people find the two of you on the internet? You guys can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N, since there is only one. I'm Joel Monique. You can find me at Joel Monique, and every week at Black Girl Nerds, check out my review of Finding Dory. I, I will. And I, and I am Lex Michael. All of our social media, at the Lex Michael. Please join us here next week at the exact same time. We're going to break down episode four and see how much worse life can possibly get for these very nice people. We will see you then. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 